Refuge is a safe place. 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 For all people. For all people. For all people. To explore and restore their faith. To explore and restore their faith. To explore and restore their faith. In Jesus Christ and his church. In Jesus Christ and his church. If you don't know who I am, um, I am one of the teaching pastors here at Refuge. And if you do know who I am, I'm your favorite. <laughs> uh, yes, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm my mom's favorite too. But uh, what a just what a beautiful time of worship that was. And just I needed that the, today. Just getting here was. I went to Sam's before coming to church. Nothing makes you lose your religion more than Sam's Club on a Saturday afternoon. And anyways, um, like I said, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Refuge. And as you heard um, the children 12 and under say correctly, and me say incorrectly the past few weeks, Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus and his church. We've been repeating this over the last few weeks for a couple of reasons. One, because repetition is key to learning. That's obvious. Anybody, any teacher, anybody who studied will tell you repetition is key to learning. Even authors of scriptures would do this. If you're reading the Bible and you notice something is said exactly the same way twice, it is because that author wants you to know it is important. So we've been saying this over and over because we want it to be remembered that refuge is a safe place and it's important to remember because refuge being a safe place is important to the culture here at the church. A few weeks ago, David and I shared how in the past we've been in places that did not feel safe for us. And I would just like to to say now as a personal note, because like you get up here and the lights are on and people are staring at you and you say, you forget to say things you want to say. You forget, especially, and I'm going to do it tonight. I know there are things that I want to say that I'm going to forget to say, but that night I just wanted, and I want to make it clear now that churches and religious institutions and leaders and leadership in these places are, not un, are unsafe for more than just the LGBTQ plus community. There are some environments and some places that are unsafe for people from all walks of life. Parents and families and allies to the LGBTQ community. People of color, immigrants, divorcees, women, people with tattoos, couples living together, unmarried, doubters, skeptics, addicts, atheists, Muslims, Jews, Mormons. And I could go on and on with a list of people who are marginalized or discriminated against or who are made to feel unsafe in certain places. Here at Refuge, our culture is about making room and making our table long enough to invite all people to come in with doubts, questions, fears, curiosities, anxieties, to explore their faith in Jesus, to explore their theology, and to explore their beliefs. And so I know you probably hear me and think that I could get all loosey-goosey and it's just a slippery slope from there. But even as a safe church and a refuge for all sorts of refugees, we still believe that we are part of the church, Jesus' church, the one church. I just got like a Pentecostal flashback. Just, 
If you whip out hankies, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> we believe um, that we are part of, of the church. We are non-denominational, which means that we don't have any kind of formal relationship with a group or denomination that oversees our day-to-day or our doctrine or our theology. But as we create this safe environment for explorations, questions, and doubts, we also believe that there are essential non-negotiables when it comes to doctrine and theology. Because that's one of the things that, that I feared in deconstruction, one of the things that my mom was worried about when we were going through some of the things we went through that I talked about a few weeks ago. But there are things that I stand firm on as a believer in Christ, and that we stand firm on as a church, and some of them are as I'm going to list. The Bible is the ultimate authority. Um, I, I no longer believe personally that the Bible is inerrant or infallible. I believe that God's word is still the ultimate authority. But when you limit scripture to being infallible and inerrant, you limit what you can take from it. You miss the nuance and the poetry and the allegory and the history. But when you limit it to an inerrant, infallible, literal reading, you also can miss the truth. We believe in the Trinity, one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe all humans have the capacity to sin, to make terrible decisions that hurt ourselves and others. We believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man, that he lived without sin, died to pay our ransom, and rose from death to life, Jesus' perfect life his death, and his resurrection. We believe that salvation comes from grace alone. It is not bought or earned, but rather it is on offer to all people. And there are some other things that we, we stand firm on, but these, these are at the core of our beliefs. For me, these are some of the most important ones. We are a church that stands on these essentials while creating a safe place to deep dive into the non-essentials. We don't claim to have all the answers. We don't claim to know it all. We're willing to admit that we don't know it all. I know less now than when I thought I knew everything. And I'm willing to put into the work, put in the work to explore it with you, to explore it with the teaching team, to explore it with everyone in this room. If you want to go to coffee and talk to me about things that you don't understand, let's go, because likelihood, I don't understand them either. Just, just being honest. And a big part of our culture is deep study and deep relationships. Being a safe place, being a safe place and safe people. We want to create an environment and a culture where you're deep diving into scripture and a place where you feel safe doing it so that you can be honest about your struggles, your doubts, your pains, your losses, your issues, your anger with God. It's okay to be angry at God. That sometimes you will be shamed and called sinful. A lot of times I have been told that there is sin in my life and that's why I'm angry at God. And if I get the sin out of my life and get right with God, then I'll stop being angry. But anger is a valid emotion and you're allowed to feel it towards God. And this is a safe place to work through your anger. These are not the only values that are important to our culture. And I encourage you to um, go to our website, go to your favorite podcasting app, however you listen to our messages. If you haven't, um, there's a QR code there on the screen. If you want to whip out your uh, phone, we'll leave it up for a second. That'll take you right to our Refuge Basics page. And they're right in order. 
It is an eight-week series, so you're going to have to invest some time into it, okay? And like, I was, I've been going through them on my own in the last few weeks, and just watching Brian preach a two-month series, I was like, that looks exhausting. And it was right in the middle of COVID, was it not? It, right after COVID. Uh, some would argue that we're not out. Anyways, not, not the time or place. So, but I'm touching on these two. For, there are eight of them. He goes through eight uh, core, core things to our cultures. They're called the refuge basics to, to our culture here at Refuge. And as we transition out of Ruth and we go in, are going into new series in the summer, we incorporated our new motto, Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus and his church. And that is at the heart of every one of our basics, especially deep church and one church. Like I said, summer is coming, and in a couple weeks, we're going to be starting our new summer series, and we're calling it Emails from Paul. David and I are going to take turns teaching through Paul's epistles. We're going to look at why he wrote them, what his message was, and what it means for us right now. Why, what, and what now. And as we do this, our hope is that it encourages you to deep dive into Scripture on your own, to wrestle with Scripture, to wrestle with uh, your theology, to work through these things. Because I'm going to work really hard to make sure I get resources into your hands, whether digitally or hard copies here, so that you can go home and have a guide to work through some of these books. Because the, the truth is, is that in a 25 to 28 minute message, which we all know I'm long-winded and I never, I always go 30 minutes or more. Wow, I thought that would get a laugh. <laughs> and you guys are more like, yeah, we know. But in, so in a 35 minute message, I cannot teach a comprehensive message on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, on 1st and 2nd Corinthians. There's just no way I could do it. But I'm going to teach you the why, what, and the what now, and I'm going to, we're going to give you resources to go home and read 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, read Ephesians, read Romans on your own, and work through some of that theology, work through some of those belief systems that come from the epistles. So when I began to deconstruct and rebuild my faith, it all started because of four little words. The Bible said so. I had come to a place where that wasn't a good enough answer anymore. Not to real world questions, not to things I was struggling with. The Bible said so wasn't cutting it for me anymore. Is homosexuality a sin? Well, yes, the Bible said so. Why are tattoos bad? The Bible said so. Why is divorce a sin? Well, the Bible said so. Why can't women preach? Because the Bible said so. For me, it felt more that I was met with the Bible said so. It only, only made me doubt and question more. So what I did is I dove into the passages about homosexuality, and I went into the culture and the context. I went to the author. I went to the city that it was written to, and I figured out what was going on in that city. I figured out what the language said. I figured out what, what the context and why it was said. I deep dove into that. Tattoos, the same thing. I went to Leviticus, and I was like, okay, people keep saying this, but why are they saying this? What is going on in pagan culture? What's going on in Israelite culture? Why weren't they allowed to get tattoos? Because I think they look really freaking cool, and I want them. The same for divorce. 
Divorce has affected my life, so why, if, if one of the most faithful women in my life, why is she sinful because she got a divorce, because she left an abuser? Why the Bible said so isn't good enough for me? Why can't women preach the Bible say so, saying so isn't good enough for me? I'm not good at a lot. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. But one thing I know I'm good at is speaking and teaching. Oh, we lost the pond. <laughs> We lost the Pentecostal there for a second. <laughs> so, well, I, I used to know I was good at it. But the Bible telling me that I couldn't teach, that I had to sit down and shut up and let my husband do the speaking, that was a problem for me in a lot of ways. And <laughs> I, the Bible saying so wasn't good enough any, anymore. And you can insert whatever you need to there, whatever it is that you struggle with, whatever it is that you wrestle with, because the Bible said so, only made me doubt and question more. And so to doubt and question these things in the circles I was in is either borderline sinful or downright sinful. So much shame and guilt and condemnation come from people behind pulpits towards people who question scripture, to people who have doubts, to people who are questioning. Stop doubting. It's a sin. You need to have faith. Just have more faith. But is doubt a sin? I'm just going to come right out and say it. No, I don't believe it's a sin. I don't think that it is a bad thing to doubt your faith, to doubt scripture, to doubt God. I don't think it is bad. Your homework this week was to read John 20. And if you didn't read it, I'll give you a quick synopsis. Mary Magdalene discovers an empty tomb. She tells Peter, who runs to the tomb to find it empty because he can trust a woman. Later, Jesus appears to his disciples and confirms that he is indeed risen and alive. So we get to verse 24, and it says this. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was with the others, was not with the others. That's important. Thomas was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand in the wound in his side. If Thomas was alive, he'd probably listen to true crime podcasts is <laughs> what it boils down to. So Thomas, we know Thomas, what, is, what do they call him? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. And he gets a bad rap for it. Uh, Brian and I were kind of going back and forth a little bit. If you Google Thomas in the Bible or Doubting Thomas, it just comes up with all these reasons why we shouldn't doubt, all these reasons why he was sinful, all these reasons why he was not a good disciple. He walked with Jesus. He, was, he talked with Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' best friends. Thomas even saw Jesus raise people from the dead. The other disciples have seen Jesus risen. Thomas knows resurrection is possible. But Thomas meets the excitement of the other disciples with skepticism and doubt. So is doubt a sin? Like I said, I don't think so. And I want to take a look at how doubt can propel and strengthen our faith. First of all, doubt is a natural part of our faith journey. Thomas' doubt reminds us that even those who walk closely to Jesus are not immune to doubt. 
as, as strong as you think my faith is, or any spiritual leader in your life, they are not immune to doubt. New believers, seasoned believers, none of us. And it's important to recognize that doubt, skepticism, questioning, even deconstruction does not necessarily indicate a lack of faith. But instead, doubt can be an opportunity to go deeper in understanding. I heard Richard Rohr um, say on his podcast, he's a He's like a Catholic friar or something. I don't really know all their titles, but I listened to a a lot of his podcasts, read a couple of his books while I was uh, working through my deconstruction. I don't agree with all of it. I agree with some of it. I liked most of it. But he said this. He said, faith means doubt. Faith is not the suppression of doubt, but the overcoming of doubt. And you overcome doubt by going through it. Doubt can lead us into deeper understanding. We don't have to avoid doubt. We don't have to suppress doubt. We don't have to ignore doubt. But it is important that we go through it. Because doubt asks, was the earth really made in six days? But faith says, no matter if it's six days or six billion years, I believe that God created it all. Beyond that, doubt challenges, challenges us to seek out truth. Like I said, doubt was a catalyst that propelled me to find truth. It encouraged me to put my faith under a critical light and examine my beliefs, to critically think about the things that I believe. We don't do that a whole lot. We don't, I made a joke uh, at, to Brandy at a rehearsal is that we blindly believe whatever we're told and we don't put those beliefs under a critical light. But doubt pushed me to do that. So I looked for evidence and reasoning that supported my convictions. And in the pursuit and walking through doubt, my faith was refined. It was strengthened and grounded in a profound understanding of God's word and him working through my life. Thomas had a safe place with safe people to express his doubts about Jesus and the resurrection. The other disciples did not debate him. They did not disparage him for having doubts. They sat with him in his doubt. They continued to be his family and his community in his doubt. I believe this because it takes us a full week to get from verse 25 to verse 26. And I don't think in that time his friend said to him things like, well, Jesus said so. Jesus said he would do it. Scripture said it would happen. So we're right. And you have to believe it. They ate with him. They drank with him. They communed with him. They had him in their home. They didn't abandon him in his doubt, even though they knew the truth. So verse 26, it says a week later, the disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I love in the Bible how people appear out of thin air, and the first thing they say is, Peace be with you, because the first thing that is going to be with me is not peace. Anyways, then, he said, then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out and put your hand in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. 
This shows Jesus' loving response to Thomas's doubt. And his invitation to move from doubt to believe, and this highlights the transformative power of encountering the risen Jesus. Despite Thomas's initial skepticism, Jesus appeared to the disciples again. And it's essential to notice Jesus chose to reveal himself to Thomas in the midst of his doubt. He didn't wait for the other disciples to convince Thomas that he might believe he might be getting there. Thomas was smack dab in the middle of doubting and questioning that Jesus had really risen from the dead and Jesus decided to show up and encounter Thomas right in the middle of his doubt. This shows us that the shame, guilt, and condemnation that is heaped on us for doubt is not Christ's response. It is not Christ-like to be shamed. It is not Christ-like to be disparaged for doubting and asking questions. Because here we see Jesus acting the complete opposite. Instead, like he did with Thomas, he will meet us with understanding and compassion. What if Jesus only showed up for Thomas? We don't know who else was in the room. They say he was with other disciples, but they're not named. And usually in Scripture, if somebody is named, they're the most important in that story. What we know is Thomas was there, so Jesus showed up. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet come to believe. I debated about having this verse in my message at all, but I, I want to highlight it because I've heard this taught that Christians who believe without, believe without seeing somehow have greater faith than the doubters. They're somehow better. Their mansion in heaven is going to be bigger. Jesus loves them more because they just blindly believe. And usually this verse is the highlight and the driving force behind doubt being bad. Asking questions, bad. Wanting proof is bad. Searching for evidence is bad because Jesus said, blessed are those who do it without seeing. But what does Thomas ask for? He asks for proof. He wants to touch Jesus' hands and very weirdly and disturbingly wants to put his hands in his side. As a medical professional, I do not recommend this at all. He wants to see and touch tangible evidence. And what does Jesus offer? Shame on you for wanting proof. How dare you want to touch my side? Don't you know that's unsanitary? Is walking through a locked door not enough for you? No. Jesus reaches out and says, here, weirdo. I'll give you proof. Touch me. Move through your doubt. This shows us that there's legitimacy in seeking evidence, but also the importance of experiencing Jesus, the risen Jesus. Thomas's encounter with Jesus led to a transformative shift in his belief. And we see the impact of personal encounters with Jesus and deepening our faith in our journey to overcome doubt. When we encounter Jesus in personal and meaningful ways, our doubts can be dissolved, our understanding is deepened, and our faith can be strengthened. It is through these encounters that we come to know Jesus more intimately and experience his love and his power. These encounters have the 
potential to shape our beliefs, ignite our passion again for following Jesus, and empower us to live in a transformed way. I believe in spiritual encounters. I've had them before my deconstruction and after my deconstruction. I have felt the Holy Spirit. And it it has evolved with me. How I experience Jesus has evolved with me as I've evolved in my theology and my belief systems. But I remember a time when I was in Ohio and I was even questioning if God was real. I was like, God, none of this makes sense. Are you even out there? Anybody ever felt like they're standing on the edge of the cliff and just screaming into the abyss, God, are you even out there? And of course, I met with nothingness, nothing. Like, it's just silent. And it was in a service. And I just, I was overcome with emotion. And I had to uh, put down my guitar, put the tracks, the multi-tracks we're using on loop. And I had to go sit in a corner. And in that moment, I had a spiritual encounter with the risen Jesus. And he said, he said, what you're going through is okay. He didn't say this audibly, but this is what I felt. He, t- he made me feel that what I was dealing with was okay, that he was indeed real and he would be there waiting when I figured it out, that I wasn't walking through it alone. He gave me the proof I needed. I believe in spiritual encounters with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They're going to look different for you than they looked for me, but I believe that they are real and true and valid. This message is not to condemn you for doubting, but to demonstrate how Jesus responds to doubt, how the culture and community here at Refuge responds to doubts, questions, skepticism. Jesus was a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith. Yesterday, after I had typed out this message, I felt really good about it. I was like, this is a good one. I sent it to Brian and David because we do that. We have like, it's like a little checks and balances, accountability for that what we're saying lines up with what we believe here. And it was mostly just for them to tell me it's great and don't change anything because I'm a words of affirmation type of person. So tell me I'm great. But it didn't feel finished. So as I start to close... I want to share Psalm 73 with you because it just didn't feel finished. I didn't know how to wrap it up, but I'm getting there. I promise, I promise. Psalm 73, it is a psalm of Asaph. He's a a musician and a worship leader, and they tend to lean towards the dramatic. But it says, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slippery, and I was almost gone. Remember, worship leader, a man named in the Bible with his poetry in the Bible. He's important. uh, And he's experiencing doubt here. Verse 3, he said, For I envy the proud. When I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. You You ever say that? I am a better person than them. I go to church. I give to the church. I'm such a good person. And they're doing so much better than me. And then for the next 10 verses, he describes his emotions, his feelings, his anger, and how the wicked seem to be rich, healthy, and happy despite their foul mouths, their pride, and their hateful heart. And he doubts. He says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? 
I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Again, worship leader, little dramatic. But I think that echoes true. I think we all have said, I've been so faithful. I go to church, I serve, I read my Bible, I do the daily devotionals, I believe all the right things, I do all the right things, yet I still suffer. Asaph tries to understand how the wicked could prosper. He tries to sort through his doubt. Verse 17, he says, Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. And I realized my heart was bitter. I was all torn up inside. I was foolish and ignorant. Verse 23, Yet, even in my doubt, in my anger, in my questioning, in my pain, in my uncertainty, in my deconstruction, I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with counsel, leading me to my destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire nothing more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Now here's the rub. I got through all this and I was super proud of my work and I was missing something. I was missing the going through part of doubt. It's a journey. It's a process. And it's, I would say, never ending. Like you start to work through it, you get it figured out, and then something else comes up. Then you work through it, and you start to figure out, and then something else comes up. It feels like a, what is this ride at the fair? Karis wheel? Karis. I'm, I shouldn't, I shouldn't deviate from my notes. It's it. It's, it comes in stages, waves, and intensity. And I'm here telling you my answer in this whole message is dive deeper. And hear me, this is necessary. Diving into scripture is necessary. Just like Thomas, seek out your proof. But the truth is not all of us are there. Not all of us are in a place where we're ready to just dive head first into scripture and culture and context and commentaries and theology and writing styles and history and the author and all the extracurricular things that didn't make it into the canon. And it's a daunting thing to start to explore scripture. We're all in different stages of our faith, and we're all in different stages of our doubt, and we all require different things. And while there are a lot of answers and a lot of ways to work through doubt, I have two things that I want to share with you tonight. We must keep going. We must keep doing the work through both faith and doubt. Asaph finishes. He's getting to the end of his psalm, and he says, but as for me... It is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. If you're in a stage of your doubt where you don't have it in you to deep dive scripture, you don't have it in you to wake up an hour early every morning to study scripture, that's okay. We don't want you to stay there. Because then you'll remain in the shallow end. But that, if that is where you are because of hurt, trauma, you're new to the faith, whatever stage of life and faith and doubt you're in, if that's where you are, don't stop coming here. Don't stop getting as close to God as you can. Be near to God. 
experience him through music, experience him through my jokes, experience him through Brian's intelligence and David's accents, experience God as any way that you can. Be close to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Make refuge your home. It is a safe place to not want to read your Bible. It is a safe place to be weary and broken. We are a refuge to all refugees. If you need a break in the lazy river to just float and rest and heal, do that. And finally, as a band, I'd like you to just start making your way up. But do it slowly so I can get to the drums. Being near to God, continuing in corporate worship, continuing to learn, to be in deep relationship with safe people. Matthew 7, 7 and 8, and I love the New Living Translation because I think it gets closest to the nuance and the meaning of what Jesus said. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks the door will be open asking the act of continually making requests not just one question not just one doubt not just one thing to keep on asking to to keep seeking searching pursuing and exploring to earnestly seek understanding knocking persistent effort in engaging with the risen Christ. If all you've got in you is to show up to this building, just show up. This passage encourages and emphasizes active participation in one's spiritual journey. Even if that journey is doubt through prayer, seeking evidence, and deep relationships with both Jesus and this community, we will help you work through doubt. But you just have to keep on, keep on showing up, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Refuge is a safe place for all people to be near to God, to worship God, to ask questions about God, to doubt God, to be angry at God. Refuge is also a safe place where we continually ask questions, seek answers, and persistently engage with Jesus and his divinity. When Thomas says, my Lord, my God, he recognizes the divine nature of Jesus and the divine nature of that encounter. I'm going to pray, ask you to stand as we move into a time of worship and reflection.